Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 416. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I am Jason Roy Iglehart, a.k.a. Just JMI. Yeah, no... <laughs> There's no just in there. You are the <laughs> Thank JMI. Thank you very much, sir. Of course. Uh, James, been a little bit since we saw you since you've been yes. on the show. How you been? I've been doing really well. Really, really busy, but glad to be back. Yeah. You uh, just said you have done five shows in a row? Yes, I've done five shows in a row. Yes. How are you? What? Um, I'm alive, but uh, a little tired, but uh, extremely excited to be doing what I'm doing. The five shows are? Uh, Hamilton and the other Broadway show, Freestyle Love Supreme. Yeah. So we were able to do a matinee of Hamilton, do Freestyle Love Supreme, then go back and do Freestyle Love Supreme, and then go back and do Hamilton. You broke my heart the two days before Freestyle like open because you were like, hey, you want two tickets for, for the show? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, what? I, I do. I, but I, And I text you back. I was like, I've got big news. I'm a dad now. Yes, that is amazing. Congratulations, dude. Thank You're a you. dad. Uh, You're the perfect guy to be a dad. I hope so. You're going to be awesome. We'll figure it You're out. Great. Also, I mean, you know, the kid will have so much reading material. Oh, my gosh. I mean, she won't know anything about American history, but she'll know everything about Ant-Man. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> I, you know, I was thinking about that because we have so many boxes of comics in our storage unit. And yeah. I was thinking, you know, when she's old enough and she reads, I want to be able to, like, go with her. It's like, all right. Let's go pick something out, not yeah. just from the library, but from our library. Yes. Oh, you're, she's going to be the coolest girl in school. Yeah. Trust me. Uh, for a lot of our listeners, uh, they know that my wife and I, we've been um, on the road to adoption for two and a half years, give or take. And uh, it's been a wild road. And it all happened in the last four days. Wow. And uh, I am here. We brought her home yesterday. Um, yes. And I am at work the day after. I was getting a little choked up and tried not to cry as I walked out the door and be like, okay, um, I'll see y'all later. Uh, but there's so much to talk about. Yes. Our top news of the week is that Disney Plus revealed like pretty pretty much everything that will be live on the service on the launch day, which is November 12th. Cannot wait. Oh, my gosh. So there's some highlights, particularly when it comes to the Marvel side of things. Uh, James, I'm going to read these out. Tell me what you think. You got it. All right. First. Marvel Studios, Captain Marvel, the film. Saw that coming. Yep. It's yes. good. I'm excited for that. Yes. X-Men, the animated series. Now, that is the one that everybody that's my age, a little bit older, is very, very happy about. Yep. Trust me. I was not expecting that. I was not expecting that. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure uh, because it's, you know, I've, I've seen it. We, we used to have it on Marvel.com. Yes, it's been in different places and yeah. stuff. But now, like, I just think... You know, I, I have I've already like pre-ordered for the three years. Yes, Disney me too. Plus, I, right? I did the same thing. I was like, I got you, no problem. And so I'm like, well, I get to bring up my daughter with X Men: The Animated yes. Series. She's gonna know that theme song by heart. Oh yeah, great, great time. Uh, then we have Marvel's Hero Project, which is. Have you seen the trailer for this? I have yet? not. Woo! You gonna cry? Okay. I I I have to like brace myself, especially now that I have a child. Oh god. Okay. Oh, it is. All right. Niagara Falls. <laughs> well done. Then, of course, Marvel Studios' Iron Man. The the movie that started it all. Of course, that definitely has to be at the beginning of Disney Plus with Marvel. Has yeah. to. The first season of the 1990s Spider-Man animated series. I actually dug that. I yeah. like that series. So it's I'm great. Looking, I'm looking forward to that series. Um, we'll talk about that later, but yes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to yeah, that. Yeah, there's video. some really fun stuff in that in that show, that including, and even on the write-up on Marvel.com, they talk about the Secret Wars story, which I always found so cool. Yeah, they, when they did that, I was like, I mean, even and when I was younger, I was like, this is, they're going into it. That was kind of like some of my friends who weren't into comics first foray into what Secret Wars was. Uh, we've got Marvel Rising Secret Warriors. Looking forward to that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Marvel Studios assembling a universe. This is a really cool documentary about you know the behind the scenes of yeah. the MCU. I believe it aired on ABC back in the day. Uh, it's very cool. I like that they're taking shows. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Disney Plus has tons of content, but they're taking certain shows for certain genres like Marvel that were just on regular television, and then putting them on the service. So people like I heard about it, but you know you don't get to see it because it's on television. You didn't DVR it, but now it's going to be there. So I'm very excited about. Yes, yeah, it's like it, it just sort of happened and then into the ether, but now yeah. everybody can see it again. Uh, Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy. Of course, I mean yeah. I have a very special place in my heart for Rocket and Groot, but yes, I cannot wait. Marvel's Avengers Black Panther's Quest, the animated show. Yes, yeah. yes, and yes. Yeah, it's that, that one's going to be awesome yeah. to watch. Yes. Uh, the Incredible Hulk Season 1, the 1996 animated series. Loved it. 
Yeah. That's um, I can't think of his last name. I should probably get it. It's Fred. Um, Tattashore? Yes, who does the voice of the Hulk. The man is a beast. And he's he's like six, seven. Yes, six, like he six. is kind of like Hulk. <laughs> but like the sweetest dude yeah. in the world. I love Fred. He's so great. There's going to be tons more stuff coming to the service. Uh, stay tuned. We'll tell you all about it. But of course, sign up now for Disney+. Plus. I was also looking at Disney+, Plus. their Twitter feed released like, did you see the, the no, thread? No, no. But the way they did it, though, it was, okay, no disrespect to any of the other platforms that are coming out. There's a moment like when you're, rap, when you're rapping against somebody where you flex. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you show up, you haven't even rapped yet, but you show up with your crew to like go, this is my posse. Disney went on Twitter and Disney Plus kind of went, this is what we're doing. And everybody was like, ah, we got to figure something out. It was like, they, they, they didn't announce it. They just did it like, oh, by the way, this is what we have. Yeah. And it, I'm name dropping. It was a dressing room with Lin-Manuel Miranda. And he was like, yo, did you see what Disney's on Twitter? I was like, that was quite Macful. That was like straight. <laughs> they just were straight Macs on that. It was like, this is what we do. Oh. <laughs> I, like, I just I just saw Mickey Mouse with a backwards hat and some sunglasses like, what's up, y'all? <laughs> Mike drop. Chill. Mike drop. <laughs> it's like nothing. You're like, everybody else has to work really hard now. Yeah. And it's just going to keep growing. Yeah. I did see, and it wasn't on our news story on Marvel.com, but I did see in that thread the 1979 Spider-Woman yes. animated Yes, thing, which, which I am, which I loved that show. Really, I've never seen it. Really, um, yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm curious. Like, I love this. That'll give us an opportunity to see things we've never seen yeah. or stuff we haven't seen in a long time. When I was a kid, they put it between, um, like, it came like they were trying to be cool about it. So it was like Spider Man, Spider Woman. Like, it wasn't the Spider Hour, but they kind of wanted to do that. So yeah. it was like Spider Man, Spider Woman. And I, it was, it's a very cool cartoon. Fantastic. Uh, so for the rest of this episode, we've got some cool stuff. We have an interview with Rob Paulson. Oh my god. <laughs> Please Google him. This is this is this is Yakko. This is this is um Pinky. I mean from Pinky in the Brain. I mean this this man's voice uh, his 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 voiceover career is ridiculous. Like you don't even know most of your childhood. This man has probably been in almost all of the cartoons that you have watched. Also, if you're a Ninja Turtle fan, I mean Raphael, Raphael man, Raphael man, come on, so much fun. Yeah, he he does a he did Batrock the Leaper, and he does yes. a little bit of Batrock for me. I died, <laughs> I died, and was reborn here at this table. It was fantastic. Uh, and then you know, in the spirit of all that, we, you know, James, you and I, we're going to talk about animation, yes. reminisce on some of the you know the Marvel cartoons that we love, especially in light of you know some of the stuff that we've already talked about mm -hmm. for Disney yes. Plus. So it's a good thing. It's going to be a great show. But for now, we've got to go to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news, colon. <laughs> I love that you do that. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, yes, this week, January comics were announced on the video episode of Marvel's Pull List. Uh, it was masterminded by uh, Marvel's Pull List co-host, Tucker Marcus. He wrote it. Yes. He directed it. He produced it. He... Basically had a hand in every step of the way, and it shows it is really, really good. He knocked it out of the park. The whole team did. I mean, we had great, you know, folks editing and and you know working on the other parts of helping to direct, helping to set up shots, and like it's a almost a little mini movie. It's really All right. fun. I know what I'm doing after this. Uh, but in that episode, we announced a whole bunch of comics. We, you know, of course, we talked about. Thor, number one, which is by Donny Cates and Nick Klein. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, number one, which is by Al Ewing and Juan Cabal. Star Wars, number one, by Charles Soule and Jesus Saiz. Uh, those were announced at New York Comic Con. Yes. So those were big. Those were important. Those are all coming in January. Iron Man 2020, number one, coming nice. in January. That's uh, by Dan Slott and Christos Gage. And <sighs> Love yeah. Dan. I know. Love Dan. Art by Pete Woods. Uh, nice. But then we got to talk about the Ravencroft books, which are a series of books written by Frank Thierry, a bunch of different artists, but there's a limited series by Angel Unzueta. It, it is about a creepy, messed up uh, asylum in the Marvel Universe, something that we've had for decades, but never explored it fully. And I think this will do it. Never heard of it. I'm, I'm into that. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's going to be really good. There's Avengers Defenders Tarot, written by Alan Davis with nice. art by Paul Renaud, okay. uh, which is going to be cool. A very 70s style Avengers Defenders action. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, but the big thing, the thing that we got to announce on the show was a brand new Hawkeye Freefall series by Matthew Rosenberg and Otto Schmidt. If you watch the video, uh, you'll see that Matthew Rosenberg, the writer, uh, is very, like, into it, he brought himself. He brought uh, his bow with him. No arrows. He kept it safe. But he traveled through New York City with his his 
like baby's first bow. Okay. Uh, and I was like, this is wild. I was playing with it. <laughs> it's cool. That sounds fun, man. But he's getting into it. He's getting yeah. into the character. Uh, it's going to be. You know what it feels like. Yeah, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, he, he wants to know. You know how it feels, and you're going to see Ronan in the sh- in the oh, um, nice. in the comic, and Hawkeye, some big mystery. I think it's going to be really good. All right, what else we got? You want to read the next one? Sure. We got um, uh, t- October 16th, X Men number one available in comic stores. The first issue is awesome. It's a very Scott Summers Cyclops focused series, and then building around him for big superhero action. Uh, I'll, I'll be the judge of that. You know how I feel about Scott Summers, so yeah. I will read it and uh, go from there. It may change. It, it like is turned it, a corner it, for it, me. Is it going to change me for when I when I see this? It might. There's a okay. really great scene with him and his dad, okay. uh, Corsair, and like the whole building of like the Summers family. Yeah. Well, you know, I got daddy issues, so okay, it might change my. It might change my <laughs> mind. Uh, there's plenty more, but like I said, James and I, we haven't been sleeping. We've been working nope. and dadding, and it's been a while. Yes. So uh, I think it's time for us to look at a little bit of this week in Marvel history. We are going to look at the week of October 18th through the 24th. Uh, I'm going to kick things off, James, with you got October it. 18th, 1950. Uh, True Secrets number four is released featuring, I believe, the first uh, John Romita art for Marvel. Wow. Yeah. Uh, 1950. John would, of course, go on to do an incredible run on Amazing Spider-Man, so yes. much more. Mm-hmm. Art director here at Marvel. But he actually had this great legacy of work on romance comics back in the 50s. I didn't um, know that. Because we published a ton of romance yeah. comics. That was a big genre for comics back then. And um, yeah, John Romita, legend. Um, then there's uh, October 24th, 1972. Fantastic Four 130 by Roy Thomas and John Buscema is released. In this issue, the Frightful Four lay the smackdown on a scattershot Fantastic Four team, but Sue and Medusa turn the tide by the end. But... Reed is a jerk. Shocking. Sue walks out with their son leaving the Fantastic Four. Sue rules, and of course, Reed drools. I have mixed feelings about Reed, but I love him, but he can be a jerk. He's such a tool. Yes. Uh, John Buscema's art in this issue is so good, and he draws this, like, Reed, like, Like, if you could picture my face when I go, that is how he looks. I've got issues with Reed. We, we, should, we should one day just have a conversation about your issues with Reed and my issues with Scott. <laughs> just, just like get these out. Just Who's like, the worst? Like, like, like therapy session. <laughs> um, also, that same day, Frankenstein, number one by Gary Friedrich and Mike Plug hits newsstands. It is a retelling of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but putting the monster in the Marvel Universe. It basically mm-hmm. has him, it, it tells it in two stories, like in the past and then in the not present, but it was like 1898. He was found frozen in a block of ice, and he starts to thaw out. So cool and scary. Yeah. I love it. It just I love Arthur could just kind of like take you out of the fact that it's a comic book, and you're like, oh, I can't read this at night. I should read this in the daytime <laughs> where I won't scare myself to death. Yep. Then October 19th, 1976, Jack Kirby's Black Panther number one launches. <sighs> a tragedy that the series only ran 15 issues, but as the cover says, he's back and only Jack Kirby could do it. The issue and the series feature some of Kirby's coolest and weirdest action art and tech. As, as a young African-American kid, you see it and you're just like, this is awesome. This is how comics should be. So then there's October 24th, 1978. James Rhodey Rhodes debuts in Iron Man 118. I think if they would have known back then where Rhodey would have gone... I don't think they'd believe it. Right? How far he's come, who has played him, and where that character is, what he's become. It's just awesome. And how important that character is to a lot of people. Yes. I I remember the first time that I ever saw uh, Rhodey in the War Machine outfit. I I believe I was in high school. And there's that moment where you see this African-American man in that armor. And plus, that armor, that gray and white, that, that mess looks so tight. Because mm-hmm. you're so used to the red and yellow, and when this bad boy came out, you were like, especially I'm from the Bay Area, so it was like <laughs> it was like a brother in a ra- in a Raiders outfit with a gun on it. You were like, this is awesome. So, <laughs> it was really really cool. That's awesome. I was, I had the action figure that when they when they came out when they came out with the with the first one, I was like, gotta have this one. Hell yeah. And there's October 19th, 1982. Obadiah Stane's first full appearance in Iron Man 166. And also, Marvel No Prize Book Number 1 is released, which is a humorous look at our own guffaws and goofs. Yeah, it's uh, the No Prize is so interesting to me because, you know, 
we see it now more on the internet of like people like, well, you know, you made a mistake in the comic that you did or the movie. Like, there, yeah. you know, like the there's a coffee cup in this episode of Game of Thrones. Like, that would get you a no prize. <laughs> right. The yeah. first person who points that out would essentially get a no prize. And you know, James, the no prize is literally no prize. It is no n o dash prize. Yeah. And the no prize would be an envelope. That would say like this is you know this is an official Marvel no prize and people would get it like there's yes. this story Tom Brevoort would tell me uh, people would get these in the mail after having earned it quote yes, unquote of course and they would be like they would then write in again like but there was no prize and because it's no they would finally get like, it <laughs> you you got it you burned it's like, it's like good, thank you for noticing what we did wrong and here's something for you yeah. nothing have a yeah. good night. But those are treasured. I know Tom oh, Brevoort still has some. People will probably, you know, I, if I got one, I would, you know, frame it. frame it. I'm like, I did this. You yeah. know, that's awesome. That's a story you could tell forever. Heck yeah. October 23rd, 1984. Uh, after a long battle, Doom bests the Beyonder in Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number 10. Doom removes his mask at the end of the issue and declares that the Secret Wars are over. Doom wins. <laughs> I, look. Outside of Modoc is a special part. I know that. For me, I know that for you. But Doom is truly, I think, the greatest you know antagonist in Marvel. I don't know who else you like. There's Magneto is incredible, um, but I think I don't know Doom. Like he's driven by like the family stuff. He's driven like there's you could go either way with a number of characters, but for me, Doom is just the coolest. There's also he seems to be the one who can stand up against everyone. Yeah. There's always one foil for each villain, but Doom can stand up to any Marvel hero or villain, no problem. He seems to be able to handle himself extremely well. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's kind of what makes him so dope. He's like, and I don't care what the situation is, I'm, I got this. Yeah. He'll step up to Namor. He'll step any, anybody, up to Black Panther. <laughs> anybody. And like, you don't step up to those dudes. Right. He's like, I've got this. You yeah. Know, you're like, oh, uh, you're not just a dude in a metal suit. You are... Amazing. Yeah. And he's got his own, you know, he's got his own castle. Yeah. Come on, dude. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> uh, but this issue is super fun. Um, and he, he fights essentially an omnipotent being and beats him. And wins. October 19th, 2005, issue number one of Nick Fury's Howling Commandos by Keith Giffen and Eduardo Francisco features Warwolf, the Living Mummy, Frankenstein, our boy is back again, the Zombie, and Vampire by Night acting as a supernatural squad for S.H.I.E.L.D. It didn't last for very long, but, you know, we're in the, the Halloween-y time right yeah. now. I figured this was a fun one to include because um, I love that idea of just throwing a bunch of monsters together and then having them work for Nick Fury. It's great. Yeah. October 18, 2006, spinning out of the runway success of the introduction in the pages of What If, Mayday Parker's first solo series launches with the release of The Amazing Spider-Girl Number 1 by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. It's weird to now, we are how many years? 13 years removed from this. Yeah. But the, like that book was such a buzz when she first appeared in the pages of What If. And it's a What If story. Like, yeah. What if Spider-Man and Mary Jane had a child? And she became Spider-Girl. And then, like, this spun out into, I think it's the MC2 universe is what we call it. Mm -hmm. And we we had, like... I know that. That's cool. Yeah, we had, like, five, four or five books at one time. There was, like, J2, who was Juggernaut's kid. Wolverine had a... Wolverine and Elektra, I think, had a kid. Um, that I remember. It's super fun. These are great stories. That is This Week in Marvel History. Of course, you can get links to all these books that we have on Marvel Unlimited, which I think is almost everything in here mm -hmm. uh, on Marvel.com. Jamie will put together the news story. I want to give a special shout out to Jamie and to our intern, Emily. They have helped me a ton in putting this together for this week and the rest of the year because did I mention I got a baby? <laughs> and that baby's going to take up a lot of time. Yes. And uh, so they they helped me get this list in, in ship shape. Wouldn't have been able to do it without them. You know, you really need to uh, give the kid a code name. This is Marvel, and you're Agent M. You got to get a kid a name. Uh, Brian Crosby, who heads up our Athena Entertainment team, said you can name her Agent Lowercase M. <laughs> it Which looks, is not bad. It looks great when you see it written out, but yeah. it's, you know, yeah. it's hard to explain that. Yes. Uh, you uh, should, I don't know, have the fans do it, you know, get a contest. Hashtag, 
you know, code name for Agent M's kid. Yeah. It's be fun. You got any suggestions? <laughs> Use the hashtag This Week in Marvel, or you can email them to us at twimpodcast.marvel.com. Uh, but first, we got to talk about the top books from this week's episode of Marvel's Pull List. Those include Absolute Carnage number four, Guardians of the Galaxy number 10, History of the Marvel Universe number four, and X-Men number one. Tremendous week. Really good stuff. I have a copy of Marauders number one nice. on my desk. Ready to read? I'm gonna get into that when we're done with this because I got to record the pull list <laughs> later today, and I'm excited because all I got to do is read comics. Oh, your job is so cool, dude. And here you are. I know. That's we're... why you're my friend. Yeah, it's real good. <laughs> uh, I figured, you know what? Why don't we talk about some animation? Oh well, that's the subject that I love so much—the Marvel animation, which I think is great because it's a lot of it's going to be coming to uh, the Disney Plus, which I'm really looking forward to. But um, when I was a kid, um, cartoons were a big thing in my life, and all I wanted to do—I knew I couldn't be a cartoon, and I don't draw very well. I mean, at this point, though, I, don't get me wrong—I am cartoon-like. I, I put a lot of that in my personality. But I wanted to be a part of animation. I always wanted to be a voice. And I remember coming home after school, and I remember the one that got me was, you know, I mean, several cartoons got me. But as far as Marvel was the, uh, you know, Spider-Man 1967 series, that you you hear that theme song. From the minute that theme, that theme song starts, it's you're, you're, you're wrapped up into it. And I always think it's funny because now the theme song is kind of, it's not... Um, it's not corny. It's not. It's not corny at all. But it's very of the time. Yeah. But you realize at the time that song was like popping, like everybody was <laughs> everybody was singing in that style. Every movie had that style. It was just amazing. So when you heard the theme, I know we, you know, you and your Spider Man, Spider Man does whatever a Spider can. It, it was done. And as a kid, you'd be at, you'd be at, you know school singing the song yeah. on the monkey bars, damn near killing yourself. But you had to sing the song while you did it. <laughs> and um, what got me was the voice of Paul Souls as Spider Man. That was like he. Who's Paul Souls? Paul Souls is the voice actor of Spider-Man at the time for the 1960s, uh, 1967 um, animated series, and he did other voices on the show. He also did uh, the Vulture. He also did, I believe, um, one of the uh, bad guys on the show. But the crazy thing about it was at the time. All superheroes, you know, not only do they have their um, alter ego like Peter Parker, but voice actors were always doing two different voices for them. So he did this one very soft mild-mannered voice for Peter Parker. And then once he put on the mask, all of a sudden Spider-Man was like, you know, it's amazing what's going on in New York City today. And it was just really cool to see that because as a kid, I didn't know it was the same guy. It was years later when I realized, and it was like, there was something cool about listening to these two voices play this one guy, like basically showing the different sides. And so when I was a kid, you know, I would, you know, do one voice in class and one voice on the playground, you know, one voice in class. Hi, yes, I have a question. Get, get out in the you know, playground. Yeah, what's up? You know, so you won't mess with me. That's what Spider-Man did. So. <laughs> I love that. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, seasons two and three are key to me because they're produced by Ralph Bakshi. And Ralph Bakshi uh, is one of my favorite animators and filmmakers. You ever see the movie Wizards? Yes. Yeah, he did Wizards. He did Lord okay. of the Rings. Yes. Stuff. Ah, yes. Um, he did, uh, you know, some uh, a bunch of other stuff. Some I think he might have worked on some of Heavy Metal, but uh, like that style. Um, yeah, the, like yeah, he rotoscoping style for him was a big deal. But like he's a legend. Yeah. I I had him sign a Wizards poster for me a couple years ago at a common convention. I was like, I love you, sir. <laughs> uh, it was really great. But having a legend like that on a show like this in 1967. The funny thing is I didn't realize that um, I was reading an interview. And when you're a kid watching it in the 80s, you just like, wow, cool, older cartoon. But you don't, you know, you, timelines don't really go through. This cartoon came out only four years after Spider-Man was actually created. Wow. So four years after the, the, the legendary Spider-Man is created, they make this cartoon. And to see how far animation had come for a television show, for that television show, it's awesome. Especially when you're looking at the background. You know, we look at backgrounds now and it's nothing. We have CGI. But for them to actually make Peter Parker walk the way he did and the classic swinging moments of him through New York City. There's the one where he's, it's just still, it looks like a rope, he's coming towards you. There's the, the arm one, two, you know, the one, two swing. The the style was so cool for that time. And only four years after it, it was only in the comic books, that was kind of unheard of to do yeah. that. It was brilliant. It's it's amazing how that character has really been a trailblazer as far as not just comic books, but also animation as well as film. I mean, you know, radio shows, we can go on, we can go on and on about what Spider-Man has done, but as far as like animation, that show once that show worked, that's when all the other, you know, the Marvel characters were like, okay, we can, we, we can do this. Yeah. 
you know. Uh, speaking of Spidey, what about Spider-Man and his amazing friends? Uh, had intros by Stanley. Yes. Wow. That was for me. That was the first time I heard Stanley's voice. Okay. And when you hear the show start off with "Hey, true believers," you're done. You're you're already hooked. But also, that was the for for me as a, as, a, as a voice actor. That was also the time when Spider-Man's voice didn't change. Peter Parker and Spider-Man sounded the same. They were the same guy. They we had moved into this moment in the in the '80s where. It's who who the guy in the mask is the guy outside the mask, but also for me, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love I love the folks uh, like you know Kathy Garver who was uh, Firestorm and then June Foray, June Foray who's a freaking legend. If you Google June Foray as far as voices, you've heard her. You may not know it, but you've heard her. But I have to give credit where credit is due. Frank Welker, yes, as Iceman. First of all, Iceman in the comic book is funny, but he's not the comic relief. On every cartoon, you need a comic relief. Spider-Man's the lead. You have the girl hero. Iceman. <laughs> Frank Welker made Iceman funny, and he always had some goofy line. There was you felt not bad for Iceman, but he was he was the one that was he's he's the goof. He's yeah. the goofy guy. But it was awesome. I, I loved his vo- the way he, what he did, and also that was a, for, as a kid we would play on the play on the playground, and you had to put yourself in a block of ice and break out of it, and then run. You couldn't just be Iceman, you know. Iceman in the comic, he's just Iceman. No, we had to make a whole giant piece of ice, leave it all around the ground, and then slide away. And I love, I loved Spider-Man. His amazing friends. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned uh, Firestar, like. She was created for this show yeah. and then brought into the comics, which mm-hmm. I think is a really interesting thing. It mostly we had a lot of characters created for comics that have then gone into all the multimedia. Very few start the other way around. And now, you know, we've seen her on uh, in New Mutants and yes. X-Men and, and, you know, New uh, new Warriors, tons of uh, – she's been on the Avengers. Yes. Like, it's so cool. It was a great foil. Uh, of course, the opposites attract, you know. And then it is kind of funny, though. There's a whole – in the original episode when they meet – there's a line where um, Iceman says, we have to stop meeting like this. And she says, yes, people will talk. And they decide to come up with a name. And Firestar says, well, we used to be X-Men. We could be the X, X-Men. And then Iceman says, it's Iceman and his amazing fans. <laughs> and then they realize that Spider-Man is the guy. And it's become Spider-Man and his amazing friends. They actually go through names to create the name of the show. So good. Which I thought was like <laughs> so meta. But like yeah. as a kid, you're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Spider-Man's amazing <laughs> friends. Uh course got to talk about x-men the animated series i'm a huge beast fan loved it and the way that he was portrayed as the you know the intellectual being just the opposite of what he looked like how he sounded and also then there's just you know cal dodd as wolverine like you close your eyes you can hear that wolverine yeah it's it's clear as day third almost 30 years later yes and it doesn't matter you know um what is it when he says I go where I want to go. And it was just like, it does something to you. And also, the first episode, spoiler, somebody dies. Morph! Morph dies. And I was like, wait, what? You start off off your cartoon with a death. That just changed the tone. Now, this is before all the cartoons that everybody said, you know, in the 90s, that was like, you know, the cartoon. This was before all of that. This cartoon was serious. It wasn't playing around. And... They snuck people in to the show. They would sneak characters in. Oh, into the backgrounds? Into and the stuff? backgrounds yeah. and stuff. Like they snuck Deadpool in one time without saying who it was. I remember it's early on, like cables on like a monitor yes. screen. Yes. And I was like, wait, cables in the yes. show? It was one of those people like, what is happening? And, you know, it was the Shi'ar, you know, the first time we saw that. I mean, there were so many storylines, the Phoenix story. There were so many stories that they just took from the comics and put in the show. Spider Man shows up and it's just one of those moments where it's it's it was so well written that it was it's so ahead of its time but i have to give credit to norm spencer who played cyclops and um lorna zahn who played rogue i loved rogue i had kind of had a small crush on rogue sure whenever she would say it's okay sugar i was like she's talking to me that's so nice you know yeah (laughs) Uh, you know, I mean, th- th- it was it was it was my introduction to more about the X. That's what got me into X Men comics because of reading. I mean, of seeing seeing the show. Yeah. It also had one of the best animated theme songs. Oh my god! Ever. Yeah. There was no words, but if you put that track on, 
certain people are just gonna just geek the heck out, and yeah. it's awesome. Uh, the, my favorite is when you like bring it up at a, a comic convention at a big panel. One year, Jordan D. White, who's editor of the X Men, had his ukulele on the panel, and I think we were doing an X Men panel or we we're doing a, like a digital pa- something, and and he was playing, and he was like. Play the X Men animated, and he's like, "Okay, as long as everybody sings along with me." So, a room of like five hundred people, yeah. While he's playing it, and it was so good. Oh, Such a good cartoon. Tremendous. Such a good cartoon. Uh, there was you also put down here the Doctor Strange two thousand seven animated movie. There was there was a moment in around the, in the early two thousands where Marvel started putting out just movies, and it was like the Avengers. Uh, actually, it was the ultimate. It was the Ultimate Avengers, yep. and it was based on the Ultimate comic books, and they were all they were all great. Uh, they put out Iron Man, but there was they got it right with Doctor Strange. You felt the arrogance of the man, you know, the doctor, and then when he lost his hands, I mean, that whole sequence of him looking at his hands and not, and then having to go to the ancient one. And this also, one of my favorite, favorite actors, um, Kevin Michael Richardson, you know, plays Mordo. And I'm sorry, that, he's one of my heroes, and you can hear Kevin Michael Richardson on everything that you watch. Deep, like... Deep, 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 deep voice. voice. He, and what's funny, he's also, uh, just to say it, he's also, he also, if you watch the Cleveland show, he also does Cleveland Jr. So you have someone with that deep of a voice and then you realize that he's playing Cleveland Jr. You're like, that's range. That brother's <laughs> range is ugly. And he is the premier. There's a couple of voices in Los Angeles, uh, voice actors. Rob Paulson is one, like we talked about. Uh, Phil Lamar. But when it comes to the brothers... Uh, African Americans, Phil Lamar and Kevin Michael Richardson are are the guys, and I do a lot of us, a lot of the guys that I know, we do voice out here in New York, but we always know if those two guys are up, eh, we, we we have a little chance of getting it, but we probably not. <laughs> it's probably gonna be one, one of those two, and usually it's gonna be Kevin. And this story, the way it was done, it was a movie. Although it was animated, it was a movie, and it was good. The animation was good. The creatures that they created were wonderful. And you got to watch Doctor Strange become the Sorcerer Supreme. And I loved it. I, I watch it at least... I watch it monthly. Nice. I'm not, not going to lie. Wow. I, I, that's one of my favorites. Uh, the Superhero Squad show? Yes! So good? Yes! yes. So funny. Yes! I am, like, crossing my fingers, hoping that that lands on Disney+, Plus because... They're cute and they're fun, mm-hmm. but there's some like there's some I don't want to say subversive yeah, humor, no, but no, like you're right. there's some stuff you're right. in there. You're like, how did they get that in there? But also, I think there's a moment where they realize that this was for almost a uh, elementary school preschool age to watch the X Men to introduce the kids to the X Men, but they know their parents are going to watch it, so they snuck some stuff in there so that the parents are, <laughs> parents aren't bored. You're like. Hey, Hey, I got that joke. Okay, okay, we can watch this show. Yeah. It was one of those type of things. So yeah, yeah I, I get you. Uh, there's some really funny stuff on that show, and that has like bonkers modern voice cast. Yes. Uh, like they would rotate in dozens of heroes and villains, and it's really fun. Uh, Avengers are Mightiest Heroes, yes, and X Men, uh, Wolverine and the X Men. Those two shows were right around the same time, and I remember, uh, especially for Avengers are Mightiest Heroes. It was this big, long-term, deep story that they were building. It was a show that didn't talk down to the audience. It was like, all right, we're going to tell a multi-layered, big, broad story over a season or two seasons. And I remember back in the old office at Marvel, we had a a smaller Hulk conference room, smaller than the one here, but we Mm -hmm. had a Hulk conference room. And it was whiteboards across the entire room, uh, one wall, for a long time. It was a story breakdown of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Oof. And I just remember looking at that going, what are we doing? I, I remember so I remember watching it, and they did the secret invasion story. Yep. That, that was what was on the board. When Cap turns into a scroll, it's one of the coolest moments. Yeah. Because this cartoon was not trying to say, oh, we're going to make a cartoon for you. Like, no, we're making a show. It's just animated. That thing and when he hit spider-man i was like damn that's just a moment like even i was like he hit spider-man oh it's not okay good it's not him okay it's not good that's that's terrible yeah but no um that's fantastic show Uh, one more i'll just throw this into um hulk versus oh yeah yeah the adam the two it was two of them right animated movies hulk versus thor hulk versus wolverine you must you must you must you must watch these hulk versus thor is so good because Loki takes control of Hulk 
and just beats the crap out of Thor. <laughs> and it's just like, you're like, it shouldn't be as satisfying as it is, but you kind of feel for Loki. It was like, ah, you came up with a smart idea. But Hulk versus Wolverine, they introduce, not, not introduce, but it's the first time for me that Deadpool is shown the way Deadpool should be. It was that cartoon, in my opinion, that let people see this character works and could work in other genres. It is really, really cool to watch him. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but you have to see it because there's certain, something that happens to Deadpool and you watch him do something and you go, that's gross, but that's really, really cool that he can do that. Yeah, and I think Nolan North voiced Deadpool yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. And it's just Nolan's an amazing voice actor. Yeah, so it's, it's, and it's, it's uh, Steve Bloom as, as, Wolverine. Uh, as Wolverine. Such a great and Wolverine. And I, I, I know Steve. Uh, shout out to Steve. He's awesome. And then also Fred. Does yeah. the Hulk. And I mean, and there's a moment uh, at the end, which is such an awesome moment. You know, you think in every cartoon they're going to just shake hands and walk away. And after they beat everybody, they look at each other and Wolverine's like, hey, we good, big man? And the Hulk's like, no. And he goes, well, I guess we're going to go for it. Wolverine snatches off his shirt and the, you just see them come at each other. And that's how it ends. I was like, this is awesome. This is, <laughs> oh, God. Good stuff. I'm glad you Thank included you. that one. Yes. Uh, so all this animation talk, I think we've got our question of the week. Fans, listeners, what is your favorite Marvel animated project? Is it a show? Is it a movie like, you know, James brought up with Doctor Strange or the Hulk versus movies? Um, and, and tell us why. Yes. I'd love to hear about it. You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twinpodcast at marvel.com or send a message again to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Uh, that is our question of the week, but we got an interview huh? and I, I got to sit down with Rob Paulson for about 20 minutes, uh, and got into a little bit of his career and like, he just, he's fighting and beating cancer. Yes. Uh, he has a new book out, but he was awesome. He was just so cool. So generous, so kind, so thoughtful. It really like just talking to him really got me. That is so cool. <laughs> It was great. <laughs> Hi, Rob. How you doing? I am breathing and I'm not in jail, but the day's not over yet. Yeah, so it's, it's far, still so early. Good. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully I won't expire here because it's really, an, it's such a hassle for you guys to have to drag me out. Eh, we got people. All right. The way I always like to start our chats is to find out what your origin story is from Marvel. So mm-hmm. how'd you become a fan of Marvel, learn about Marvel? You know, for some people it's comics, it's whatever. Everybody has a different way into it. Yeah, well for me, it, it was comics because I'm pretty old. You know, I was the, I was a busboy at the Last Supper, so I've been <laughs> around for a while. But um yeah, I, I, for me it was Spider-Man. I, when I was a kid, I loved Spider-Man comics. Then the uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, the friendly neighborhood. Sp- that was a big. And I still know the whole song. Maurice Lamarche, who's my friend, the brain, um, and I often sing that song together because we're both of the same age. And those cartoons, and in that case, the theme song, just stuck with us. You know, so that was my intro into the Marvel universe professionally. It was uh, the first cartoon show I ever did. I did them both in the same week. I had been doing live action and music in L.A. for years, which was the ostensible reason I I went there 100 years ago from Michigan. (laughs) And I got called by my agent and said, have you ever considered doing animation? I said, well, of course. I just want to work. But there were only a handful of animated shows because when I moved to L.A., it was pretty much all Saturday morning. And Marvel had not yet really done any forays into that gig, you know. So the first shows I got were G.I. Joe and Transformers. Two of my favorites. I grew up on those. Oh, my God. I walked in there and I thought, this is cool. And, of course, Transformers was not anything really yet. And so my first gigs as a voice actor were as a character called Snow Job and Tripwire on G.I. Joe. And then literally the same week, they said, hey, you know, you don't suck. Why don't you come in and do this other show? So I played some aerial bots called um, Air Raid and Slingshot. And I'll be damned, there are still action figures for those critters. Yes. I I swear to God, it's not false modesty. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that action figures were even made for the the really minor characters. And so that's how I got involved with that. And then later I did a show called Biker Mice from Mars. Myself, Ian Ziering, and a wonderful actor named Dorian Harewood, the three of us played uh, the mice. So I was a character called Throttle, which I used my uh, badass, 
well, this is about as bad as my ass gets, you know, because if you see me in real life, I don't cut a very imposing swath, but uh, that's the cool thing about cartoons, you know, you can be way badder than your visage would suggest. So then between G.I. Joe Transformers and Biker Mice, I did a couple of episodes of the, I want to say late 80s, early 90s version of Spider-Man, and I played, I played Hydro-Man. Yeah. So I'm taking a couple of punches uh, for Marvel. And I was just saying uh, in the green room a couple of years ago, my, again, my friend the brain and I were very fortunate to uh, be part of a team that roasted uh, Stan at a convention in Dallas. And it was a gas. You got to tell me more about that because, oh, you know, you, roast can go in so many different ways. Well, what, and this was, was like? utterly respectful, um, as you can imagine. And when the organizers, it was in Dallas, and, and when the organizers said, would Pinky and the Brain like to be part of... <laughs> of course. And, you know, God bless Stan. Do you know that that sweet man took the time to say, I really had to tell you how much I love Pinky and the Brain. You guys are fantastic. Excelsior! And I... God, Stan likes Pinky in the brain. He he was just delightful. He had that way with every person he met. You know, I, yes. I have my memories with Stan. And, I'm sure you do. You know, he's been interviewed 100,000 times, and he made me feel like you I were was... the only person in the room. And, uh, yeah, and yep. like he's like, oh, that was a great, you did a great job. Was, oh, Total pro. You know, it's interesting. Uh, as I've gotten older and been around people like Stan and, and Steven Spielberg and very famous people who could behave any way they want, and they choose to be kind, they make it about the other person, they take the time to look at you and me, and when we have an exchange, they make every effort to make us feel as important as we perceive them to be. He just was a delightful man. I mean, his work speaks for itself, but he was... Really, just a good human. Yeah, we just had New York Comic Con here, and I yeah, think about last week. I, I was thinking about Stan a lot, as you know, because I meet a lot of fans and I talk to a lot of mm -hmm. people, and you know, on a much smaller scale, trying to give them an experience and a, and a connection to Marvel, like Stan did for me, like Stan did for them, and make sure that they feel that connection at all times, and it's really important. You good know, for I you. Could be having a terrible day, but their love for Marvel is bigger than whatever nonsense is going on. Boy, you nailed it. I, I have to tell you that when I'm having a bad day, if I go out and I find somebody that I can make laugh, obviously most people don't know who I am walking down the street, but I'll be goddamn. Once they find out who I am, one thing leads to another, and somebody says, oh, God, I used to love Jimmy Neutron. And I say, well, I'm Carl. How are you? It's a <laughs> pleasure to meet you. Have you got a llama? And they do what you're doing right now. And isn't that, oh, look, your face is turning the same color as my name. You're all pink. No. It's like a superpower. That's what success looks like on a personal level, too. You've got a new book. I, I do. I want to make sure we mention that. So Today can... it drops. Yeah, yeah it's wild. Uh, the book is called Voice Lessons, How a Couple of Ninja Turtles, Pinky, and an Animaniac Saved My Life. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the book. I had been asked by fans, all well-meaning, for years, hey, man, you should write a book. But honestly, uh, the last I thought the last thing the world needed was another celebrity memoir, especially from a guy who's not a celebrity. And it's not false modesty. I'm good at my job, but the characters are famous. I'm not. I don't draw them. I don't write them. And so I'm just a part of the equation. It's not like being Brad Pitt or, or a movie star. So while I accepted the compliment in which people would give it to me, I thought, you know, I, I love my job and I'm proud of my work and all that, but nobody wants to hear what I have to say. But then three years ago at this time, I was undergoing treatment for stage three throat cancer. And, you know, that old axiom that we make plans and God laughs, you kind of go, wow, that was a, a curveball. When I was going through that, I thought, now I've, I can, I've got a story. Not so much about the cancer, because unfortunately, everybody knows somebody who's been touched by cancer, and, and it's just, it's heartbreaking. It, it never is not heartbreaking. Uh, however, I was told at the beginning, look, here's the deal. We're virtually sure we can cure you, 80% chance. But before we do, we almost have to kill you. The treatment is brutal. It, with radiation and chemo, it just beats the hell out of your mouth and your, and your throat. They said, we know we can cure you. And our job, frankly, isn't to save your career, it's to save your life. And honestly, I was 59 when I was diagnosed. And even if the doctors had said, look, Rob, you better go home and get your stuff in order because we're going to keep you comfortable, but you're on your way out. Man, I had nothing to be upset about. I had, by any measure, 
a terrific career. I have a wonderful family. My son's married. You know, I had all insurance stuff. So while I was going through my treatment, I thought, you know, if I can get out of this and I, and I can do my work the way I used to, I might be able to share a story that could be helpful or inspirational because God knows people have done it for me. I and my friends, you know, we all speak to kids all the time on the phone. And not just little kids. I've talked to a lot of big kids, 30s and 40s, who, you know, one thing will lead to another and they'll say, hey, my, my brother-in-law's, you know, 32 years old, but he's a Ninja Turtle fanatic and he's really having trouble with his liver cancer. You know, he always wears a Ninja Turtle shirt on his chemo days. And I mean, I didn't realize that until the advent of social media and, and conventions. And I am telling you, when you talk to a young man or woman who is really struggling, and then you talk to somebody who says, it would really help my brother a lot if, you, if Raphael called him. Are you kidding me? Who knew? And I know that sounds silly, but I, I did not know the extent to which people not just enjoy these characters, but I mean, they are often a lifeline. So that's what the book is about. It's not another, and then I did, and then I did, and then I won, and then I did, and then I won. It's about how these children, grown and younger, helped me to take a punch in my experience with cancer. Because every time that I would get down, and there were a couple of them where I thought, I just cannot do this. I cannot do this one more day. This is killing me. I would think about innumerable children whom... Yakko or Pinky or Raphael or Throttle from Biker Mice or whomever have spoken to, and often the children don't make it, and their parents keep in touch with me, and they go out of their way to tell me and my friends, you have no idea what it meant to Chad before he died that Raphael spoke to him and called him again on his birthday or whatever. So when I was going through my experience, I knew I was going to make it. All I had to do was get through it. Mm -hmm. And Talk about profiles and courage. Those children and their parents did it for me on an impossible level. And so that's what the book is about. It's pretty amazing. The power of joy. Amen. And, you know, it, it sounds like a cheesy, new agey thing, but it really, True. It, uh, I, I see it. I, we did, uh, had one meeting with a Make-A-Wish uh, child. And I was just like, made my month, made my year. I mean, it, was, yeah. it was just like, and I was a small part of it. And they, they, they wanted to come to Marvel and it was oh. just a little thing, but- you know, I was like, great. If I if I did something to turn them up just a little bit, oh bless your heart. Then everything is and is you will never forget. That. Oh no, God no! You'll never yeah, yeah, forget yeah. that. And that is the gift that we get from people who are in that circumstance, just by their example of what they're going through. If we're lucky enough to be led into a pretty intimate time in their lives, right? They're dealing with something that's going to kill their child. You leave an event like that utterly changed, and all of a sudden, getting stuck in traffic your kid spilling ice cream on the couch. It's just not a big deal anymore. And so not everybody has that opportunity. So I, I am an, I'm a lottery winner, man, to have had that, I mean, hundreds of times, and it just never gets old. Amen. Uh, let's shift a little bit. I'm curious, though. We, I want to go back to Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah. You know, what, what was it like working with Steven on Animaniacs? What did you learn from that experience? Because that one, it just clicks with so many of us. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, he's the king of Hollywood, right? And Another example, kind of as we alluded to with Mr. Lee, Stephen, uh, Mr. Spielberg, I'll tell you, is another example of a guy who could behave any way he wants. And a perfect example of why Mr. Spielberg is who he is and why he is so revered is the following. At the launch party for Animaniacs, September of 1993, <laughs> um, I was there with my son and um, all the cast, the artists, everybody. It was a giant party on the Warner Brothers lot right under the water tower. It was fantastic. And I remember clearly Mr. Spielberg came down and he had you know, his entourage with him. And I'm sure even though he cast all of us and made the decision on who got what job, you know, the guy's making Schindler's List and Jaws and you know, a zillion movies. So he has people who say, well, now this guy, this is Rob. He's Yakko and Dr. Scratch and Sniff and Pinky. And that's Maurice. He's the brain. And that's Tresh. He's Doc. So, he, you know, he talks to all of us. We're not standing in a line. He just makes the rounds. And you know that that gentleman came up to me, Rob, oh, my God, we're so grateful to have you. This stuff is coming back. Looks great. Oh, geez, thank you so much, Mr. Spielberg. No, call me Steven. Okay. But my son was with me. He was probably eight or nine at the time. And um, he said, is this your boy? I said, it is. He said, do you mind if we get a picture? Now, how classy is that? It does two things. Immediately, it takes the onus off me having to ask. Everybody wants a picture with Steven Spielberg. 
And then it also gives you a glimpse of, hey, hotshot, if you ever cultivate anything resembling celebrity, that's how you behave. That's how you go through your life. You go out of your way to talk to the goofy voice guy and make him feel important and then try to do something nice for his child. And now we're back doing Animaniacs and Pinky in the Brain again. Stephen is now, what, 72 or 73 years old. And when it was an imminent thing, and he was out, by the way, he went to every pitch meeting. He went to, they pitched it at Apple, Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon. And he went to every pitch meeting because it was that important to him. And he made sure that he had two foot by three foot posters of Tress McNeil, who's Dot, Maurice LaMarche, Brain, Jess Harnell, Wacko, and yours truly, Yakko and Pinky. And he made sure that he had two foot by three foot headshots of us because he went in there and said to the execs, we're going to do this. We're not sure which one of you we're going to do it with, but these four are back. We're not going to replace them with celebrities. That says a lot, again, about Mr. Spielberg. Also, he's not stupid. He knows that because of all these events, nice people like you having me chat, people online can see me saying United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama for a zillion times. So they go, wait a minute, this guy can still do it. Why would we replace them? Because the love for those two shows have a lot to do with the voice talent. So once again... He showed not only what a pro he is, but what a decent human he is. That's so cool. Someday I would love to, to meet him. And I, I don't think we'll ever do a movie with him, but you never know. You never, never know. No, kiddo. If somebody asked me five years ago, you think you'll ever do Animaniacs again? I said, I wouldn't hug your brat. <laughs> and here we are. The, the fan base for just those two shows is exponentially larger than it was when it premiered. Because now people your age grew up watching it, and they have nephews and nieces and kids and they go, oh, dude, there hasn't been a new one of these in 20 years, but you got to watch Pinky and the Brain. And that was a direct edict from Steven Spielberg and Tom Ruger and Gene McCurdy, don't condescend to the audience. No. Never. That's the same. Looney Tunes are irrelevant 70 years later. People who are even older than I, who grew up watching, going, wow, I, I get cultural references now that I didn't get when I was watching Bugs and, and Elmer Fudd in the 70s and 60s. Yeah. And that's that's the magic. Great art has some amazing uh, longevity. Uh, you've been doing a lot of voice directing. Yeah. Uh, getting into that more. Being in a role of that sort has probably got, you got a lot of things to think about. I not only had the, the good fortune of, you know, working um, with Mr. Spielberg and a bunch of stuff, but uh, my dear friend and the most prolific voice director in the history of animation, Andrea Romano, directed Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain and Batman and Freakazoid. The iteration of Ninja Turtles, in which I was Donatello from 2012 to 2016 on Nickelodeon, uh, SpongeBob. Andrea, we're peers. I met her when she was a, a PA. I've known her for 36 years. She now has so many Emmys, she dresses them in Barbie clothes. <laughs> uh, and so when I got handed the reins to this latest iteration of Ninja Turtles, I had great examples of, of how to do stuff. And the truth is, I think part of the genius of a guy like Steven or a woman like Andrea is knowing when to shut up, is knowing to say, great, move on. By the time actors get hired to do the gig that I'm directing them in, they're good. Basically, at that point, my job is to say, hey, try a little more of this. Don't beat a dead horse. That's what I've learned about people from people like Steven and Andrea and, and Gordon Hunt, who directed all the cartoons of Hanna-Barbera. All of them had that ability to not only get a performance, but know when to Shut up. Step back. Let people do what they do. That's a better it. way to say it. You said it better than I. Let people do what they do. I, I trust my genius to know that you're the guy or you're the girl for the job, and I'm going to get out of your way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, even thinking about some of your, your Marvel roles, you know, like Hydro Man, not a super well-known character. No. You also did, uh, you were on Superhero Squad show. Uh, Was I? Uh, uh, <laughs> you did uh, Baron Strucker and Werewolf by oh Night. Oh my God! Yeah. Yes. You know Baron Strucker to me, like I have a, a, a sense in my head, especially. I do for remember that the show has a certain tone, and then Baron Strucker. I imagine you get to play around with some fun stuff. Werewolf by Night is a fun character. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, I did get to do some uh, uh, Batrock. Yeah, Leaper. Batrock is one of my favorite characters. Oh really? Oh. I'm crazy about that. There, he make me look. Now your face is turning all pink and red too. <laughs> And uh, I got, I literally, I, just, I got that. chills. Really? That, was, that made me so happy right there. I see. It's not about money. It's not about action figures. It's not about ratings. It is a pure expression of how those characters affect you. I can't get enough of that. It's marvelous. No pun intended. <laughs> 
to, to see that. And I'm so glad you, you, you said that because I was the same way when I got to work with Mel Blanc a hundred years ago. I was working on a Jetsons project and Gordon Hunt was directing it. And he said, hey, Robbie, Mel's here today. Do you want to sit next to him? And I've mustered up the courage to say, Mr. Blank, if it's not too much trouble. And before I got it out of my mouth, he knew what I wanted. So he looks at me and goes, yeah, what's up, Doc? And I mean, my eyes crossed. So never would I compare myself to Mr. Blank. But being in the position now where I have, you know, a few characters that people know and I do it and it makes you feel that way is something that is incalculable to me. So thank you. Uh, I, I want to go back to thinking about when you have these characters who have history, a character like Batrock or a character uh, like Von Strucker, they have a history, people have a vo- like a theory in their heads about what these characters sound like, to a character from something like Animaniacs, which is brand new, is something that people are experiencing through you. How do you sort of think about those voices developing those characters? Is it something that you work out with the the other people on the team? Is it something that you come in with saying, you know what, I've got this. I know what, what this is going to be. You, almost always the former. As I said a bit earlier, it is a deeply collaborative effort. And I think, if I may say, one of my strengths is knowing what I'm not strong at. And that's that, I have to tell you, is a pretty big deal. I enter every project utterly egoless. I crave the input of the producers, the writers, the directors. I always go in with an idea or two, and sometimes my idea is spot on, and everybody says, I got no problem, let's go. Other times they gave me a tweak that is becomes part of the character, and because I was smart enough to let that in, I end up being a better actor for it. I, I think you all, you kind of answered uh, my last question, which was just what advice would you give to someone who wanted to become a voice actor, voice actress, uh, especially you've, you've seen the industry in various different ways yes. and you've seen it from different sides of it. Um, you know, a lot of people have great talent, mm-hmm. uh, but sometimes they just they don't know what what they need to do. Exactly right. And what I would say to people who are young folks, voice acting is small V, large A. It's about acting. Period. End of story. The reason you like Bugs, the reason you like Philip J. Fry, the reason you like the brain is because of all of that stuff. They're well written. The, the characters look great on screen and they're really beautifully acted. And that only comes with practice. So I encourage people to do it. And nowadays, I promise you, even at my age, I've been rich and I've been poor and rich is certainly better. But the reason I work is because I still have the Jones for doing it. It makes my soul happy. So cool. Rob, thank, thank you. you so much. Oh, man, thank you, you guys. We're very lucky to do this, and we ain't got nothing without you guys, so thank you. Amen. Big thanks again to Rob Paulson. His new book, once again, is called Voice Lessons, How a Couple of Ninja Turtles, Pinky, and an Animaniac Saved My Life. Uh, With that in mind, it is time for some emails and tweets from the community. First is an email from Jason Kim. Jason, thank you once again for the treats. Uh, He sent us some beautiful chocolates from Hawaii. He says, Dear Ryan and Lorraine and James, aloha from Hawaii. Geek Craft Expo. It was held this past weekend, and the organizers were Daniel and Kim Way. It was a geek craft fair that was awesome. They had some creators there, John Murakami, well-known local artist, Ken F. Levin, Matt and John Yon, a.k.a. the Yon Twins, actors from Observe and Report, comic book creators of their own right, and uh, Jason says the Yon Twins were so nice and very cool. He continues on saying, if you guys or any of the Twim listeners see them at a con, you have to ask them how they got a picture with Frank Miller. It is hilarious. I, I want to know this story. It sounds That sounds really interesting. You know, uh, Jason finishes up saying, thank you for reading my emails on the air and please continue to have fun making these awesome episodes. Thank you, Jason. So email from Otto uh, Danielson. The death of Gibbon, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 18, was such a sad issue, even though it centered around such a minor Spider-Man villain. This was in response to our the, the saddest moments uh, in comics, in Marvel Comics, stuff that makes you sad, makes you cry. Do you yeah. have anything that comes to mind? Actually, actually I, I, I do have one. Okay. Uh, what do you got? When, when Scott is um, taken over by the Phoenix power. Ah. And he kills Professor X. That was way, way sad for me. Yeah. And that also kind of solidified my 
disdain for Scott Summers, which I will try to do my best to get back on these new X-Men, number one. But there's for, other year, characters. For, for years, that was a bother for me. And then when that happened, I was like, how dare you? This yeah. man took you in and gave you – you would be nothing without this man. You'd be a blind man just burning all your food with no glasses <laughs> if you, this wasn't for this man. The, uh, the opening of the new X-Men, number one, is – a conversation between Scott and Professor X where Charles gives him his glasses and like tells him to open his eyes and it's this really sweet moment. Oh, okay. Yeah. How dare you? Yep. <laughs> uh, all right. On to Simon Williams who says, the saddest moment in comics for me was Avengers versus X-Men number nine showed the end of Storm and Black Panther's marriage. Also, the versus issue that showed them fight. Honestly, felt like I was watching my parents get divorced. Close second would be one more day. Uh, wow, I was not expecting AVX to land two mentions in this little chat. Yes. Well, there you go. To this day, I'm still mad about that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's fair. Last one in here from RP67. Uh, he has a picture in here of uh, uh, a big, bold baby uh, kicking Iron Man. He says, come on, Iron Man. Don't you realize the big boot can be fatal? Good thing Happy didn't follow up with a leg drop, brother. Yes. <laughs> Oh, so is that happy? Why is he so swole and bald? <laughs> what is going on here? I don't know this issue. RP, thank you for that. Uh, that is bonkers. I love uh, the Hulk Hogan reference. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Uh, James, that's uh, that's about a wrap for this episode. I have had a ball. I'm glad Thank you for letting me come back. It's great. Of course. Anytime. Yeah. You wearing a G.I. Joe shirt? Uh, technically. Uh, oh, you're wearing a Star Wars shirt that looks like G.I. Joe? I yes. like that. That yes. was a good one. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to wrap this up. I'm Ryan. And I am JMI. And this is Marvel. Your Universe.